millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Last week we got a timely update about what's going on among our brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa, but if you'll remember, we ran out of time before we ran out of stories about what is happening in Africa. So this week, part two of our conversation, Sean Patton oversees the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs to North and East Africa. Jeremy Malkin oversees our ministry to West and Central Africa. Both of them travel to different parts of Africa multiple times every year. You, Anytime you see them, you know they are pretty much fresh back from a trip we're going to start by learning about a country that I don't think we've ever mentioned before here on VOM Radio. That is Northern Benin. Jeremy says the predominant belief system in the country is animism, the belief that the rocks and the trees and the oceans and all kinds of inanimate objects have spirits that have to be appeased or have to be worshipped. Many people in the country also worship the spirits of their ancestors, this often puts them at opposition to churches who believe in the one personal God of the Bible and in his son, Jesus Christ. So in areas of the north, which really spread even to northern Togo, northern Ghana, all the way to, to the southern, what, southwestern Burkina Faso, you have this deep influence of animistic rituals. And so in northern Benin, the church has really been attacked, has suffered as a result of this. And what happens is when you have new converts to the faith from these communities, they basically view the church or those new believers as rejecting their ancestors and just their, really their culture. And so even, you know, at a young age, uh, young men especially are, go through this initiation stage where they're initiated into the into the village into the community their their manhood depends on it but a lot of the practices that they would go through would be things that we would definitely consider demonic and so you have new believers who reject that and say no we're not going to go through these these rituals and as a result they've been attacked i mean because the local community sees christianity as a as a as a foreign religion coming to destroy their culture these attacks against the church have been ongoing. In one uh, particular situation, the local witch doctor, basically, the leader, Marabou, or they go by different names, but kind of the, the spiritual animistic leader in the community, asked the church not to gather at the church that evening because they were going to have these ceremonies, which involve sacrifices to the ancestors and all. And so the Christians said, okay, we won't, we won't, go to church, but we are going to pray all night in our homes. And that's what they did. And at around midnight, the Marabou, the, the, some of the people came to the homes and said, we know you guys, you Christians are gathering and you're praying because you've disrupted our service. And as a result, one of the pastors was killed and a number of the people that were wow. worshiping were attacked. 
but it was the power of Christ right. over the power of these demonic forces. And they realized that. They felt that presence and they couldn't go through with they their rituals as, as a result. They couldn't overcome it. So it's an incredible testimony to the boldness of faith of of the church in those areas. But because of that, they are suffering tremendously. And it's weekly we're hearing of believers typically new converts to the faith who are being rejected by their by their village especially by their families it puts shame on the family right the the village goes after them oftentimes goes after their parents but the local church is is taking these new believers in and trying to provide for them the best they can and so that that's what we found in northern benin there's a lot more i think going on there than we even realize we were also talking about Burkina Faso because mm-hmm. it's it's very much that same pressure from the animus that's happening in the south of Burkina Faso. When we first became engaged in Burkina Faso a couple of years ago, it was mainly because of the jihadist Muslim extremist activity in the north, which, you know, two years ago, churches were consistently being attacked in the north. There were a lot of Christian refugees fleeing more south or to the capital Ouagadougou and to some other towns. That's when Burkina Faso was put on our radar. But because of the just the amazing uh, job that our field leader has done there and working throughout different areas of the country, we realized that there's a whole lot more persecution that is happening against the church, which we don't hear about in the media. You know, the focus is usually on those right. jihadist groups, but but not these animistic type pressures. So I was just in the country a few months ago going down to the southwest and visiting these communities. And they're... In late 2020, there were 13 churches that were attacked and pretty much destroyed. I mean, most of them were almost, you know, completely destroyed in a period of about a week. And you basically had a mob that just said, we're going to completely rid this this area of Christianity. I mean, that was their agenda. They went from church to church and just started destroying everything and pastors' homes I, when I was able to visit this area, I, I mean, it, it was it was pretty. For one thing, we started engaging with the local church to rebuild some of these churches, but but going to these areas, just the the joy of the church community, despite what had happened, was was almost overwhelming. I mean, <laughs> I mean. For anybody that goes to Africa, you know that when you go to a congregation, there's going to be a lot of joy. There's, you know, uh, excitement, um, vibrant worship. and and, Yeah. (laughs) But this was even more than the typical African church setting. I I don't even know how to explain it, but it was it was just almost overpowering. And part of it was it, it was it was this amazing picture of you see this destroyed church building where everything about the attack that was just very i mean it was evil it was demonic it was it was this this tribal ancestral agenda to to rid the area of of every believer if if possible and then right next to that building was a brand new church that had just been erected it was a physical reminder almost the the sense of victory, which I, I think hearing these persecution stories time and time again, going to these fields, we know that God ultimately has a plan and God's will will be done. And through each situation, even our own suffering and trials in life, 
God will be glorified through that. But we don't always we don't always see that in this world. We so we often don't see it immediately. Within a year after it happens, oftentimes we don't see that in a lifetime. Uh, but there was something about seeing this this church next to the destroyed building that was a visible picture of victory in a very evil situation. What what men meant for evil, God meant for good. That, I think, initiated so much of this excitement because everybody gathered together in this church and celebrated. But as we were all processing that and we were talking to the congregation, we just said, you know, this this is a unique picture. It's it's special. This is a special time. It is something to be celebrated. But let's not forget that this church could be destroyed again tomorrow. Right. Our eternal hope rests in Christ. I mean, he is our hope. We we know that this can happen again, but we we know you you have persevered, you've remained faithful, and God has brought you through this. And ultimately, our reward will not fully be seen in this earth, if at all, but will when we're in the very presence of Christ. It, it, it was just a very emotional time, I think, for everybody, for the congregation there. Yeah. It's interesting to hear... I mean, we talk a lot about radical Islam in Africa, you know, rising and, and persecuting. This has nothing to do with radical Mm-mm. Islam. It's completely separate from that. The other thing that strikes me in that story is just the the powerful witness of you tell people, well, the Christians were praying and it disrupted the other guys. So clearly the Christian's prayer is more powerful than the other guys. I mean, you would think people would kind of look at that and think, oh, wow, if if they're praying in their homes privately— was so powerful that it disrupted the the witch doctor. Maybe I want to know more about their. <laughs> maybe I want to know more who they're praying to. Yeah, and and those those are the testimonies we hear so often in Africa. So even even in Muslim dominated countries in Africa, a lot of them at least within sub-Saharan Africa, it's what we would oftentimes call folk Islam, right. which is very blended with animistic pra- practices. But when you hear of conversions oftentimes to Christianity from folk Islam or just from plain animistic, you know, animism, like what we're talking about in Benin and Burkina Faso, it's it's because they see that God's power <laughs> is is more than what they have ever known before. And so that comes through oftentimes through Christians going to someone's house and praying for them and and they're healed or uh, stories like this where, you know, through prayer and, I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit overcomes whatever darkness is next door to them or in the neighboring village. And that that's oftentimes what initially draws people in. Right. And then you disciple them in the Word and, and they're, you know, and they grow in their faith. But it's that initial that power. Show of power. It, yeah. I've heard one testimony, I've heard a thousand, yeah. of, you know, a, a wife who's sick, you know, and she goes to the religious leaders, whether it be Islam or whatever, and no help, goes to all these different places. Doctors can't help. Finally, the husband says, you can go to the church. Goes to the church. <laughs> the last They chance. pray for her. She's healed. And then usually one of two things happens. The whole family comes to Christ or the wife is like, I'm going to go back to that church. Like, there's power there. But the husband, even though he knows there's power, the community pressure, right. you know, to be a Muslim is so great that it's like, even though I know the, it, that's the more powerful God, right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the God who healed my wife. 
I it's going to cost me too much. Right. And and I think I've seen that. A, I mean, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. So how do we pray for these believers in Benin and the, the challenges that they're facing? I, I would just pray for their continued endurance and and faith amidst ongoing struggle. I mean, th- these attacks aren't going to end anytime right. soon. I mean, it's, it's, it's ingrained in the very culture. So they know that every single day is a gift from God because they risk. could be attacked again. Yeah. And, and the reality of that church being erected, they know that it could be torn down again tomorrow. Um, but yet they, they continue to worship. They weren't disheartened when the first building was destroyed. The second building was was just a blessing, a gift, but but nothing more. It's not going to destroy their faith if right. it's torn down again. I think that faith, and again, I the power that's seen in the community yeah. through pray prayer, for, through, pray for more through, shows of God's power. Yeah, through the God that we worship, I I think that's that does transform a community, even if it takes time sometimes to break down the darkness and the church really is a light in that in that area. So just pray that that they would continue to be that light in their community and that more and more would seek seek the light the light. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Sean, I want to come back to you and let's talk about Sudan because uh, a year ago we thought things were kind of on a hopeful trajectory in Sudan. Uh, their Bashir had been overthrown. There was this transitional council. There was the promise of democratic and free <laughs> elections. Uh, lots of promises. Right. In October, there was a coup. Supposedly, the the general said, "No, we're not going to go with civilian rule. I'm going to be in charge." What does all this mean for the church? What does it all mean for Christians there? You know, there's been shared power between the military and and civilian government. With that supposed to be transitioning completely to civilian government. The the guys on the military side are are the same guys that were in power with Bashir. Um Burhan's one of one of Bashir's guys. So s- same so same guys. Trust them. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a little difficult to trust. And uh so cut from the, the same cloth, you know, and so everybody knows that and everybody's uh, understands that, you know, this could go poorly. And then, you know, just with COVID and, and lockdowns and things like that, you know, the, the government's had an opportunity to, to or the, the military side of it, to really kind of do what they want. And so, um, you know, there, there was a coup in October. The prime minister representing the, the civilian side was um, under house arrest. Massive protests erupted over this. And so within a month, the prime minister was reinstated. And a compromise was reached. I think most people on the street are not happy with that compromise. And and, and so it's just it's hard to know where the country is going to go. Right. Um, it's a situation where the, the people on the street want a civilian government they want a voice. at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they're not going to budge. And you've got the military in control who are going to try to give some semblance of, yes, you have a voice. And, and yes, this is a a civilian government, but we still hold a measure of power. And, and you know, it's just both sides are going to continue to uh, to be at odds with one another. So we don't know where that's going to go. What is good about right now, and we've talked about this before, is this, this government has its hands full. Right. And so um, with protesters they're not, they're and other not things, that worried about they're, the they're not right thinking now. about the church right now, which is great for the church. And so and that's just been our our approach from the beginning is we know this is probably a window and we're going to take every opportunity uh, to get in Bibles, to get in evangelistic materials, um, to build 
up the church so that they can uh, minister, witness, stand with whatever comes. Pray for Sudan. We're still hopeful that um, that there will be democracy, that there will be increased freedoms for the church. But uh, the, the Lord's in control of that, but we'll control what we can, and, and that's to keep a posture of pressing forward and supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ there as they seek to uh, to share his love throughout the nation. We talk about this window being open mm-hmm. right now. You talked about Bibles. Mm-hmm. I assume as many as we can possibly get in, we're, mm-hmm. we're getting in. Absolutely. What are some of the other ways that VOM is is actively coming alongside the church there? And and maybe you can't talk about some of them. But. Some we can't, but a lot of it has been, you know, strategic outreaches of helping the church uh, go into areas where maybe uh, more Islamic strongholds where the church isn't as strong or there aren't churches at all, helping kind of fund evangelistic outreaches and efforts within the country. Again, I talked about getting evangelistic resources in. And so we're trying to get as, as many materials in to help the church as we can and then kind of while no one's looking, uh, try to do as much as we can in, in these areas where previously it would have been difficult to go in and and for the church to, to do any kind of a evangelistic outreach. I mean, Bashir presented himself as, mm-hmm. as the defender of Islam. Like right. he was, you know, he wanted everything to be Islamic. He was mm-hmm. going to... So with his overthrow, is there a perception maybe that there's a window in the in the hearts of the people who yeah. think maybe Islam didn't work because Bashir was corrupt? Yeah, when you've been when you've been ruled for so long by somebody who's one of his chief goals was to Islamize the country and and how poorly that's gone. You know, there's dis- disillusionment with mm-hmm. a political Islam, Islam at right. least. And so, um, so there's a window. There's a window, and and I think that's something that's hopeful too. Is even if the military rulers stay in power, that maybe they'll abandon some of that hardline Islamization of the country that we've seen previously, and maybe extend more freedoms to the church, even if they're going to retain control. Sean, I want to stay in your part of Africa and and go south to Mozambique mm-hmm. because I know. Uh, we actually were working on a special report that's going to go out about yeah. what's happening in Mozambique. How do we pray? And we talked about the northern part of the country, mm-hmm. the attacks, the horrific suffering right. of Christians there, the, the specific targeting of Christians, of pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening right now, and how do we pray for Mozambique? Well, a, a lot of the insurgency, you know, we've talked about it has been focused in the Cabo Delgado region of northern Mozambique and massive attacks, uh, whole villages, towns overrun. Palma was one of the large towns that was just completely overrun by the insurgents. And, and Muslims have been caught up in that as well as Christians. And I, I feel like it's a lot like what happened with ISIS in the Middle East, where in some ways it's indiscriminate, but then in some ways Christians are, are very much targeted. Yeah. And you, you saw that with, you know, putting the, the Arabic N on people's homes in the Middle East. And we've seen that in Mozambique where Christians have been especially targeted in the midst of it. The insurgent group has pledged allegiance to, to ISIS, ISIS, right? Yes. So they, yeah. they consider themselves uh, sort of an African branch of ISIS. Yeah. And there's, there's several African branches of ISIS now all over Africa. And I think that's something people maybe don't realize is that a lot of what was going on in the Middle East in trying to establish an Islamic caliphate has now shifted to Africa. And so, and that's kind of helping them fly under the radar in many respects. 
the situation in Mozambique, I, I, I think one of the reasons, because it is in an area where, where now they have pledged allegiance to ISIS, mm-hmm. and so you, you kind of have that notoriety, but you also have the fact that there's a lot of oil and gas deposits and uh, Western interest in Cabo Delgado. It's gotten more attention than a lot of other places in Africa where we're seeing uh, persecution, Christians attacked, Islamic groups that are on the rise. And so in some ways that's been good. I mean, there was even a pastor that was uh, killed recently and the BBC reported on it. And so that's that's kind of unheard of, uh, unheard of in Africa. And so what has happened is that when that all happened, uh, people fled, they retreated. Um, and so we were trying to meet them kind of in, in the retreat zones and have been ministering to them with food aid, uh, with Bibles. Um, Jeremy mentioned earlier in, in CAR and just the the fact that people are so hungry for the Word of God, even in the midst of their hunger and starvation. Right. And we've seen the same thing in Mozambique. Wow. Um, you know, give us more Bibles. And so we've been distributing um, solar Bibles, audio Bibles that are that are solar powered. And so, and then trying to meet individual needs, trying to get the pastors back on their feet so that they can minister to their own people. And there's just a lot of loss, a lot of suffering. I think what's concerning right now is that some of the allied forces who, which made up of Rwandans and, and Mozambicans and also uh, South African forces who've come in, who've tried to kind of stamp out this uh, insurgency, there's been some success in that. But they've kind of stamped out the main fire, but now there's sparks that are spreading. And so now we're seeing attacks. Um, we're seeing groups kind of fracture and splinter off and are, are rising up in other provinces, which is concerning. And uh, in, in addition to that, a lot of these allied forces are um, scheduled to pull out in January. Uh, I don't know if they're going to stay or not, but if, if they don't, that that's going to create a real problem. And so I think even for our own work, you know, we thought we can kind of set up a base of operations outside of Cabo Delgado and they can minister kind of outside in or be there to receive people during these attacks and then slowly rebuild people's lives as we go back in. But now with the insurgency kind of happening all over, it's it's very disorienting and um, a lot of fear. And, and so we're kind of waiting to see what happens and, and how this plays out. So that literally that's in flux as people are listening to this Absolutely. Uh, i mean with yeah. with troops pulling yeah. out maybe leaving it to the insurgents certainly something we can pray for mm-hmm. this week right now as, as we're talking about it how can we pray for mozambique i say first of all praying for all those who've already experienced you know attacks that have happened over the last year or so and um you know just again healing uh for them a lot of trauma a lot of them still displaced, you know, don't know when they're going to be able to go back. Just encouragement for them. And then I, I think for, especially for the church in these areas where there's kind of a new uprising, um, that, that they would be bold, that they would be courageous, um, that they would be preparing their people uh, to meet these challenges. Yeah, the, again, that the church would just have the the only answer that's really going to to heal to help and all of this uh, that they would be prepared uh, to share the the hope of Jesus Christ the uh, the healing that Christ brings the the hope of an, an eternal home of peace and and comfort and that the church would just be able to preach that boldly they have the answer you know and um and they have the only answer and so uh, I just pray that the church would be able to to share that faithfully and effectively Amen. 
Are there some good news stories that that in the last year maybe have come up? Some particular uh, people whose testimonies have blessed you. Some places we've been able to help that we weren't previously able to help. Any kind of good news story that's <laughs> come out of Africa in in the last year? I, I think something that's that's been really encouraging encouraging to me. Just maybe two stories that kind of intersect of a uh, Eritrean family who now live in a, in a Western country. There, the father was arrested back around 2004. Todd, I think you were in the country as all of that was happening back then. I, and, I was. Uh, I, I very know exactly who you're talking who, who about. Who this is in the story. <laughs> and, and we've just been able to walk with that family from their time in East Africa to their transition to a Western uh, country. They, they have a, a daughter right now who's a, about to graduate from, from college who just you know, sent us a message recently that was so encouraging. I, I know I think you were in on uh, that uh, that message and got to read that, and I I teared up as I read it. But just the the gratefulness of our organization being able to walk with them and minister to them throughout this oh goodness, what's been you know seventeen or eighteen Decades. years of seeing their yep. their their father um, you know languish in prison, and and something that's similar to that another. Eritrean girl whose dad was arrested uh, during the same time, same arrest, who's um, in college now as well in a, in a Western country. And uh, it happened one of our field leaders was uh, was speaking, or actually one of our regional leaders was speaking in the chapel of her college. And they were able to get in contact, and I was able to be in contact with her. And just to hear uh, wow. her story and know um, her, her father's still in prison, we got to talk. It was just really cool that we we know what prison her father's in. We've been distributing aid to her father for decades, and uh, and just to kind of get to to talk about that and uh, and she had no idea. We had no idea about her. She had no idea about us. She had no idea we've been helping her father through these years. And so that was just a really encouraging conversation. And and she's actually um, she's studying um, theology. Her her dad was a a very uh, uh, strong Bible teacher and theologian who was developing materials for the church, and the, and the church in Eritrea really needs uh, good materials. And so she's she's studying right now to help write and provide education resources uh, for the future of the Eritrean church. And so, well, those two stories just really uh, so encouraging. When when the Lord just peels back a little bit, and you kind of get to to meet some of these folks and see these connections and see what He's done through all of this. And as you think about it, I mean, both of these young ladies, you know, they haven't seen their, their fathers in 17, 18 years now. And so uh, just pray for them. Yeah, but, I think about that that daughter graduating from college without mm-hmm. her dad there. Yeah. Um, for him to miss that, for her, for him, yeah. um, it's heartbreaking. It is. At the same time, I'm thrilled that uh, we here at VOM is not a short-term Yeah. We don't just sort of fly in and yeah. <laughs> drop off some money and say, hey, we're praying for you, and then leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a sometimes decades-long commitment that, hey, you're part of our family now, yeah. and we always remember our family. Mm-hmm. We always stand with our family. Absolutely. So. Uh, yes, I, I was on that email chain, and mm. I also teared up as I read <laughs> it. I'm almost going to tear up now just talking about it. Mm. So um, – Keep praying for those guys in mm. prison in Eritrea. Absolutely. Uh, when you talk about 16, 17, 18 years in prison, mm-hmm. um, I think of them often. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. Jeremy, what about you? 
You know, one one thing we've really been excited about, I, I think this past year or so, has just been the opportunities um, uh, within the Sahel uh, to get the scriptures um, to some very remote and, and difficult areas. And so you have this entire region that, that you know, goes from, from Senegal and in the western part of Africa all the way over to Chad, <laughs> a lot of rough places in between, you know, nor- northern Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, where you have a lot of this, this Islamic extremist activity where the church is under attack. In, in northern Mali, for example, France is talking about pulling all their troops out by mid-2022. What does that mean for the, for the, for the church in the country? Uh, there's going to be this power vacuum where you have these radical groups um, and you already have a transitional government in place now in, in, in the capital after a coup in late 2020. So, so there's a lot of unknowns, but yet amidst all this uncertainty and amidst just this extremism that does exist, uh, there are very active churches, for example, in the north of Mali that are continuing to worship weekly, gather, you know, gathering together, uh, having services. And, and then I, I think I, I go to the neighboring country of Niger, and there's opportunities, especially among the Fulani people group and the Touareg even, where the gospel is being heard. And it's, it's almost this window because the, these, there's, there have been so many attacks, even over the borders of Mali into Niger. But yet these groups who have been traditionally Islamic for the last 1,500 years or however long it's been. And who often, we, in the case of the Fulani, we often talk about them as the attackers. As the actual persecutors the of the persecutors. church, right? Yeah, and... and and they have been, like in northern Nigeria, but yet they're surprisingly receptive to the gospel Amen. right now in Niger. And even Torig, I mean, these are completely unreached people groups, nomadic tribes that have never be heard the gospel before. And we're hearing of people coming to faith in actually pretty significant numbers among certain certain groups. And we've had the opportunity to go up and sit with them, you know, even this year um, in very remote places <laughs> in northern Niger. And and, um, and they just go from community to community preaching the gospel. And uh, it's it's just, it's incredible to see. You, you hear a lot of ne- negative reports coming out of the region, but I think there are, there are so many opportunities. There's people coming to faith across the Sahel, and we have an upcoming newsletter specifically focused on Niger that'll come out in early 2022, I think February or March. And you'll, you'll get to hear some of those stories. But in addition to how receptive the gospel has been amongst uh, some of these groups, there has been a lot of persecution in the country among other groups outside of the Fulani, specifically the Hausa. And um, but yet there's just some amazing testimonies of faith. I mean, we're responding more to persecution than we ever have in Niger. But yet the testimonies coming out of there have been more encouraging than ever before as well. And and the the local church has been actively engaging uh, these needs, addressing these situations. Again, you'll hear some of these stories in the newsletter. One of our, our field leader actually was able to visit a prison where a local believer was arrested on false accusations, faithfully serving the church, put in prison as a result, 
has spent the last couple of years in prison and, and they were actually able to go into the prison wow. with him and interview him. And uh, so you'll get to hear more about that. But the testimonies have just been phenomenal and the church has been faithful and, and we've been greatly encouraged by that. I mean, as you were just speaking, I was just thinking about the Yao and Malawi as well, that maybe like right now on the planet, two of the most amazing movements of people to the gospel are happening in Africa among the Yao and Malawi and, and then the, the Fulani across the Sahel. And and we know that because of the the pushback, the way they're preparing their people to try to withstand the evangelism of the church. I mean, all of these things where it's it's demonstrable that something's happening they're and they're like, because... what's going on? Why are we why are so many people converting? Wow. Yeah. So I, it, is, it is amazing as we think about that. It is incredible. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.